Caution. Learning in progress. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Smarter Every Season podcast. You know, I'm, I'm reminded that there may be people more and more that are joining in and listening to the podcast for the first time or the first few times. So just to give you a quick history lesson, when we started this podcast, uh, probably about a year and a half ago, the goal was that we would pull in content experts from across precision planting and try and talk about a number of different things going on and affecting our business in an effort to educate ourselves. And we thought, oh, there's some really useful conversations here that we think our dealers will enjoy. And that was kind of the goal of this podcast. Before I get into what we're going to talk about today, though, I want to introduce my co-host for this episode, and that's Hans Stetsman. Hello, Tyler. How are we doing today? I'm good. Hans is fresh off a weekend where he took his kids to a high school basketball game. And we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. I've got two that I can't get still to save my life. Hans has four kids, and I, I'm just I'm a, I'm a bit fascinated, and I think some of your wisdom could be passed along here. How in the world do you get four kids to sit still in a high school basketball game? You don't. You really don't. <laughs> uh, you uh, you uh, let the oldest two run a little bit with their friends. Um, okay. Popcorn always helps those two as well. That was my next question. Yep. And then for the youngest two, the two- and four-year-olds, you get popcorn. And what's actually one interesting thing is that a lot of our friends come around that have young kids as well, and they always have these little tablets that they sit at the game and play. Uh-huh. And so for the last three or four games, someone sat right in front of us that the youngest two and the, the well, actually even the youngest three can sit behind and they're not, they don't care about the <laughs> game, but they're watching someone else play something on their tablet and they're just engrossed for the entire length of the game. Okay. So what you're saying is there's some strategy around where we sit. Oh, like yes. it's probably good when you walk in to identify there's a kid with a tablet. Yes. And there's an open row behind them. Yes. That's what's one. Also, what also uncle and cousins. And uncle and cousins are also okay. in the area, so that helps a lot as well. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So when they, I mean, cousins are are invaluable at keeping them semi occupied for a period of time. So, so I, I love my 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 niece and nephews are great kids. I think this can apply to to maybe you know farm shows just to kind of oh, pull this it back is. to our it is true. target it is audience. True. Strategic seating and snacks. Snacks are a huge piece of it. And a friend with a tablet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You Perfect. got it. You're 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 on on track. You've got you've got a game plan. That. For me, might be the most beneficial part of this conversation. But I think for everybody <laughs> listening, they want to know what we're going to talk about today. And that's liquid. So one of the things that we kind of want to do over the next two months is pull in each group from our in-person planter training and kind of provide a refresh as we go into to spring. Training is over. Um, but I think there are always a ton of really valuable conversations that we have with our dealers. We learn just as much as they do when they come here for, for in-person training. It's true. I mean, we pick up so many different things that come out of training and just be able to reconnect some of those pieces with training and kind of present it again is always good. Um, So the goal then is to pull in somebody that in this case did the liquid training this year and pass on, you know, here were some of the things that were really good tidbits or that that we learned in doing liquid training from our dealer network. And here's also the things that we want to double down on making sure you're aware of these things as we, we head into spring. And some of these things are really perfect as we kind of head up into uh, monitor setup season two. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring in the guest for today. And that's Ori Ingram. Hello. Morning, Ori. Morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, just so everybody can kind of picture you, three people trained on liquid. 
uh, Freya Watson being one, who's a co-host a lot of times yep. on this podcast. Nate Burnham, the other, who's also on the podcast. You are the orange-haired, orange-bearded one from Liquid Training, just so everybody can kind of picture who you are. Except for I've lost a beard now, so I was that doesn't say, match. The, yep. the I, beard disappeared, which is kind of sad. I kind of miss the beard. Yeah, why? The other big, well, I lost the beard just because it was time to get rid of it. Oh. Mm, it there's that time. It feels like there's more back. to that story we can probably poke at. It was quite the, impressive. The other way it, that um, people may know me is Nate always referred to me as Liquid Lord. So if you're listening <laughs> to this, you can't actually call me that. Because I did say you can only call me Liquid Lord if you watch the podcast or listen to the podcast. Well, hopefully that's obviously what everybody's got to be doing right now. Right. Yeah. right. Perfect. All right. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some things that you want to pass on as reminders from training. I know from talking before uh, a couple days in advance of recording this, a lot of the things that you want to make sure that that dealers and growers were aware of centered around kind of the EM flow sense or EM HD even setup. So let's start there. What are some of the things that we got to make sure we get right in setup? Yes. Yeah, so on our setup page for in systems for our liquid product now, one thing that we are even now taking a lot of calls on is that flow source. So when we either have a turbines removed style or an EMHD, we have to tell that where to go see flow source so that it can control to it. That there's going to be three options there. Um, we just need to select the correct one for the the HD that we're running. And to be clear, this is going to affect somebody who's on 23.0 this year. Um, the ability to be able to take turbines out of a regular HD and pair that with EM or the, the marriage of EM FlowSense and EMHD, those were options that opened up in the 22.1 branch, which now as we roll into year 23, we'll be in 23.0. So uh, even if you're somebody that just has regular HDs, if you update to 23.0, you still need to be aware of this because we still have to tell the 2020 where to look that is correct. For where yes. we're getting flow. We have to tell okay. it where to look. And it does default to internal, which would be our turbines, but I uh, still want to make sure that is set correctly. The other important thing there is we have to set that for each HD that is on that row. What we see a lot of times is guys will set it for the first one in the list and then continue on. They'll get past that page, and then we don't get flow source for the rest ah, of the rows. Good point. And we just didn't set it. So that is when we have to go through each HD for that planner. That's a great point. I've seen that happen many times. <laughs> so set up systems, and then when you add product and add HD, when you go through, each HD is going to need to know where to look. So by rights, you could mix and match. I don't know necessarily why you'd want to, but... Technically, you can. Yeah. yeah. Probably won't happen, but in a pinch, maybe. Yes. But all all that aside, that's a, and it's an excellent point to, to look for that on every row. Um, what else? Is there anything else setup-wise that we need to be aware of? I would say the other part that we have to tell where to go look for a source is on our pressure side. So if you are running the new Gen 3 style rate control module for pump control, there is a external pressure sensor that we pair with that. That has to be added as hardware separately from our liquid rate control module now. And then under our rate control module, there is a pressure source that we have to set as well, whether that's internal or external. So this is really similar to... HD in that 
you have to set this time a pressure source, whether it's internal or external. That is correct. And this goes back to, like you said, we came out last year with a new rate controller that does not have built-in pressure sensors. Our original rate controller had three push-to-connect fittings on it that could access basically the pressure sensor side that was all integrated into one module. Now we have a module that is just rate control or just controlling the motor. Yes. And a separate module that you could add uh, that basically has those three push connect that has your pressure. That has your pressure on it. With yes. the goal there being if one of those goes bad or blows, you're just replacing that pressure sensor module, not the entire. Exactly. Not the entire rate control module piece. Exactly. So we okay. just need to set that. The other thing I do want to clarify is that that Gen 3 rate control module with that liquid pressure module is only compatible with 23.0 going forward. Now, if you have the old, what I call peanut style, uh, which is the, the one Gen with the 2 pressure style, sensor integrated yes, into it, yep. That is going to be compatible both on the Gen 2 monitor and the Gen 3. Perfect. I'm glad you clarified that. That will be compatible on Gen 2 and Gen 3 and the 23.0 yes. version of software. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Was there anything else on the setup side that you want to talk about? So there is a lot that goes into the setup, especially when we talk about section control, when we get into EM FlowSense, EMHD, um, making sure that our control pair, our EMHD and EM FlowSense, have the correct jumper color and they all match consistently a across a product versus our row-by-row EM FlowSense, making sure our, our jumper color there is, is different, but it, but it also matches across the rows. Um, I don't know that I want to go into specifics there, but we do have a lot of documentation um, on VApply HD, our install document for that. We go through how to set up our plumbing and then jumper colors there, but we also have a good video um, on our training side of, of the cloud that walks through that as well from our previous liquid lead there i know from talking to you ahead of time to probably the best resource if you have em flow sense which just so everybody is aware that's electromagnetic right em flow sense and emhd if you're doing those two in a section setup the best resource to show you how to do that is under the training tab there's 2019 22 training videos and yes. if you click there You'll scroll down, and there's a 21-22 virtual recordings. It's the second kind of row of videos. And the first one is New Liquid Products Training, March 1st of 22. And that is a really good tool to show how to set up EM FlowSense and EMHD in a section-based yes. setup. Yep, that's going to okay. show the 2020 setup side and the actual physical hardware setup as well. And we talked a little bit about that, too, trying to do that in an an audio format is probably going to get a little cumbersome and technical. Yep. This video yep. does a really good job. So yeah, the goal here was let's, let's pass along that resource. Yes. Perfect. Or are you, um, in training, one of the things that you had several different stations related to, um, pump calibrations and kind of that, that nature. What were some of the things that you were trying to accomplish with those different stands and kind of the, those different breakout sessions and what are some of your advice as you would, you would, what would you like to pass on around, uh, pump calibration. Sure, sure. So we had three stands set up for being able to do breakout sessions, get guys hands-on, actually be able to walk through a pump calibration process. 
But our, our three stands specifically, we started with how do we set our bypass? So all of our pump stacks and how we want to set up liquid systems, we have that return line to set pressure on our system and wanted to give guys the opportunity to have, have that available on a stand where they can actually set pressure and see how that affects the system at different rates. So that was our first stand. That was before we actually get into a pump calibration Nate walked us through actually doing an initial cal. Um, so we had examples of our min and max rate and how do we find our duty cycles that we want to run at those min and max rates. Um, basically using our documentation written up on product resources that takes us through step-by-step step how to do a pump calibration. So, so you're saying, you just mentioned there's a calibration sheet that you walked, walk, kind of walked through with them. Is that available on the cloud? Is that what you recommend guys to yes. go to? Yep. And I think I actually called it a little bit wordy in in training because there is a lot there, but it's all very good information to take you through exactly what you need to do in that pump calibration process. But we used that out on the stands, gave guys that that resource to walk through it themselves. And yes, it is on on product resources under under VApply HD. Okay. Now, that was the first, so that's a great tool to use there. Now, the last one you said was more infield, correct? Is that the la your last session was more of a, a, I'm infield and now I'm not hitting rate? Yes, so that came up a lot in class. Um, even before we got to it, we planned on hitting it. But what happens when I pump cow in the, in the yard on gravel, it's doing just fine. It's doing what I want to. And we get out to the field, we run the same rates, and we're not, we're not hitting rate what happens then or what can I do or what tools can I use to try to figure out what's going on. So we talked through, first of all, using our context clues, we talked about pressure, whether it's a difference from the pump to our rows, do we have a drop in pressure there or is it overall drop in pressure over the entire system? If that's the case, I think the first thing I want to know is, do we have the same RPM on that pump? Are we spinning the pump at the same speed as what we calibrated for? And we talked about the tools we use to understand is that, is it doing what we asked it to still using a tachometer or a voltmeter if we have a shaft speed sensor on that pump to understand how that, how that pump is turning? Is it, is it doing the same thing we asked it to in the field as what we asked it to in a pump cal? Um, so we, we use that third stand to use those two, two tools, Oops. the tach and the voltmeter, to read RPM. How do we know that? when we're in the field. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. I think one thing, and I, I know maybe I'm jumping ahead here but, or, or skip it. Um, we talked a little bit about EM flow sense and the zero process on there. Is that uh, something also in here we you covered, I think, in training as well? When do you want a zero EM flow sense or kind of that that adjustment to if, if we're still, if our pump cal seems to be correct and we're still not hitting the rate, is this where you start to look at EM flow senses as zero or offset values? Yes, so now if you have an EM flow sense, whether it's monitoring only or paired with a turbines remove style HD or an EM HD, there's going to be a zero EM flow sense process. That is going to be used any time that we change product where it's a different viscosity. It's going to pass through that EM flow sense a little bit differently. We want to account for that. We're not making the EM flow sense more accurate. We're simply accounting for... Variations in product. Running. Yeah. Yep. And I would say the exact same thing on our on our standard HD. We ran a flow rate adjustment to try to do the same thing. That was accounting for how 
how different products run through that HD. So if, if we do a bucket test and we're not showing the correct rate on the 2020 is what is actually coming out, the first step is going to be to walk through that zero EM flow sense. And that's and a that, clarification on that. That's if the 2020 number that's being saying, this is what I put out, this is the flow meter that I put out, doesn't match what I caught. Yes. Not exactly, a, it seems exactly. to be it's applying high or I can't hit rate. It's this rate, this number that it's being put out doesn't match my bucket check. We know it because we bucket checked it. Because we bucket yes. checked it. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> there is still a flow rate adjustment option under the EM HD and the EM flow sense on that setup tab under systems that I don't want to use that until the zero EM flow sense has been done. done. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So the process on that is if I think I'm under or over applying, I do a bucket check. If we realize that the 2020 is off, then we zero EM flow sense. If we are still off, that's when we make a change to adjusting the flow yes. rate of the EM flow sense. Okay, and that, too, needs to be done on an every-row basis. That's not a, I set the first one and it changes for all EM flow sense. On the EM, on the zero EM flow sense, that will actually zero it for all of your EM flow sense on that product. Yes. I'm talking more... The flow rate adjustment will only be for that, for that individual module. That's what I meant. Okay, so it's the flow rate adjustment that needs done on every module. Every row, yep. Okay, perfect. So you had made mention there, too, about doing a re-zero of the EM flow sense if you make a change in product. Is that specifically change in product, or does that include batch? So if I get another batch of the same product, do you feel it's necessary to re-zero? Or what would be your strategy there? If you are seeing such a variance in your batches of of product, this is going to be a lot quicker step to go through than our flow rate adjustment was before. Because every time we did a flow rate adjustment, we had to do a bucket test to verify it, correct? Now that zero EM flow sense is simply giving us a way with zero rate to account for that very quickly. It's going to be just a couple button pushes to go through, and we've accounted for that. So if we think there's a big difference in batches in our loads that we're taking to that planner, then that zero EM flow sense is going to be a lot easier step to go through to account for it. I love that if anybody's listening to this and you can hear some taps in the background, that's Ori's hand it's simulating it's tapping through. <laughs> You're lucky you don't ha- hear a pen just clicking constantly. I, I saw it. He dropped the pen earlier, just so you know. He got down and he started clicking, and all of a sudden he dropped the pen and moved it to the opposite end of the table. It's, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I know from talking to you two, and we kind of mentioned this in the intro, but we learn a ton from our dealers coming here and their experiences and what they're seeing from the field. I know that you had a couple tidbits that you thought were really good for feedback that dealers gave you coming here for training. What are some of the tidbits that maybe they weren't part of your training curriculum, but they came up through training that you kind of thought, ah, that's, that's pretty valid. I'd like to pass that on, or I wish other dealers knew that. Sure, sure. So one thing that I really didn't think this was something we needed to cover in training, but it came up every time we had a breakout stand, specifically around one that had our row strainers on it. And without fail, almost every session that we did, one dealer would point out that we have those plumbed wrong on row strainers on a standard HD 
that we we send that rose drainer out, we had it plumbed in to the outlet and then out the inlet side. And there's to an, point that out. And there's an arrow indicator on those yes. to show the way they should yep. go. They would mention that, and then another dealer would pipe up, yeah, that's exactly how you're supposed to plumb that because then it's going to have it, – we're not going to crush that filter inside if we have too much pressure. So – it's not something I covered in training. It's not a, a, a big deal, but every time another dealer would say that. So there, that information is out there, but not every dealer knows about it. And it's just kind of a little bit better, another step to make the experience better. So basically what they're saying is you almost plumb those in reverse yes. of the arrow indicator. Yes. That arrow is there to show the path of flow. You're just flipping that around. And the goal there is, is those build with... If you junk. get into junk and stuff, you won't collapse the compressor because it's easier to withstand pressure collapse out. the filter. Yes. Yeah. You're pushing fluid out of the filter um, rather than inside the filter, and actually you'll yeah. crush it if you go in. But if you go out, you probably won't crush the filter. And as, as, for lack of a better word, gunk builds up, basically you could have an instance to where the pressure differential across that filter gets it's pretty large. Right. Yeah, very And that's large. what would cause it to Correct. crush. Okay, so we're just we're recommending flipping those around, or that's what some dealers had passed on at training was flipping yes. those around. Yep, cool. It was really cool to see that those guys just have that conversation around that and didn't even have to it get comes involved. From, really. Comes from experience of yep. looking at it, not yeah. just from yes. of seeing it. So cool. Ori, where do you feel like some of the best conversations happen? Was there like a particular stand or a topic that you felt like the dealers kind of really lit up or that you enjoyed talking about the most or, or was most impactful maybe? Sure. Yeah. So th throughout training, my first breakout session that I had on my bypass stand, that was set up with EM FlowSense and EMHD on it. And I hadn't had a chance to really talk through what those were doing yet. I wanted to just focus on, on the bypass side. And I could see some frustration build up as just to how that looks on the diagnose page. It's going to be, it's going to look different, but we hadn't had a conversation of what changed there. So when we get to our second breakout, we talk through what could look like setup errors on that stand and, and how do we go about fixing those and what, what the 2020 looks like when we have those issues. So once we got into that, that breakout stand talking through setup errors, and, and giving the tools for guys to understand what's actually happening, that, that light bulb kind of clicked for a lot of guys where, okay, now I understand it. So, so really it was about if we don't have the correct flow source, we've already talked about that, selected, or we don't have the EM flow sense that's paired with the HD assigned, then what's that going to look like on the 2020 page? And using the system schematic is going to be my best friend to make to verify a setup, especially on that first fire up of that system. I want to go there and make sure everything's green and I don't have anything that's not assigned, especially in a section setup. There's going to be so much more going on there, and that system schematic is going to help us make sure that 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 everything is assigned and communicating. Love it. And would you say, I'm going to try and double down on this, the best probably setup resource for EM FlowSense, EMHD, that's still the video that we mentioned earlier um, that is under product resources and training, and then the 2019-22 videos. It was that kind of new liquid products from March 1st of last year. That's yep. still the best yep. resource that you would say. Okay. That's still that's still a great resource. We are we're working on some documentation um, coming forward, but but that video is going to explain exactly how we need to set that up. 
perfect. And that's really the key in making sure that setup piece of that's going to make their life 100% easier going into spring when you're dealing with the MHD yep. as far as yep. at least a section-based scenario. Awesome. Ori, was there anything else that you wanted to add, or is that pretty much what you uh, what you had from your notes? That's all that I have here to cover today. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to pass some of this information on. Um, I think, man, the dealers that I talked to, I think, had a lot of fun at Liquid Training and at training this year. So I'm just I'm grateful for everybody that did come, and I'm, I'm thankful for your part in it. I know you put a lot of work into it, and I think that really came through. So thank you. I appreciate that, Tyler. Yeah. I heard that about all of our sessions here at training, so... It was good to have everybody in house. It was. It's once, always a sweet time. Once again, I always ended uh, the session saying that appreciate the dedication you guys put to to be in here. So absolutely. So I mentioned this a little bit in the opening, but I want to make sure this is clear that over the next this is this is kind of a almost a series. This is episode yep. one of four, where we're going to kind of bring on one person from each of the four training groups. There was liquid. There was a can diagnostic course. There was hydraulic and electrical theory. And then kind of setting ground engaging tools was the course in which we use the sand track. So over the next two months, we're going to bring on somebody from each of those sessions and do exactly what we just did with Ori. Kind of hit on the high notes, talk about, hey, what were some of the most beneficial conversations? What were the tidbits dealers passed on now that training is over and hopefully in an effort to kind of get everybody ready and, and keep, keep those uh, hot dogs you in, right? <laughs> keep all the information that we just talked through fresh as we head into spring so that's kind of the goal and this is again episode one of four in doing that i think in another couple weeks the goal is to dive deeper into the can diagnostic course so hope everybody kind of looks forward to that sounds good and i'm looking forward to those tyler me too um so as we also have been doing we're going to pass on now uh, a shop hack we've been doing that for the last couple episodes and this one's no exception the goal there if you haven't been listening is just to um we grabbed some dealers at training. The goal there with the shop hacks is we grabbed some dealers when they were in-house for training and just kind of asked them to pass on what's a, what's a shop hack you have? What's something that made you faster or made an unfun job easier or a difficult job easy? Uh, something that made you more efficient in the shop. And so we've got more of those to pass on. And as we conclude this episode and just thank everybody for listening, I'm going to hand it off to... Uh, Justin Steffen and Jack Bartholomew from Bottom Line Solutions, and they are going to pass on their shop hack. But until next time, thank you all for listening. I am joined here by Jack Bartholomew and Justin Steffen. I had to double check. I've thrown an S at the end of Steffen before, but it's not Steffen's. I don't know where I got that from, but it is Justin Stefan. Stefan, yep, yep. No S at the end. They are from Bottom Line Solutions. I'm going to go over to you, Jack. Tell me a little bit of, about you guys' dealership. Um, been in business about nine years. Uh, there's in town to about three of us right now working. We've got uh, Justin and I doing uh, basically everything from sales to install to tech support. And uh, Melissa being the office uh, site manager, uh, taking care of us and filling in all the details and keeping us in line. Awesome. Love it. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, she tries to keep us out of trouble. <laughs> tries. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you guys brought up before we started recording. There's about three or four things that you guys do for shop hacks, which when I say shop hack, I'm looking for – there's some little procedures or tools that we use to make us more efficient in the shop. So jump in. What are those three or four things that you guys brought up? If we can try and go back and remember them all. 
Well, I'd probably let Justin talk a little bit about our V-Apply stand, which has been a big part of our business the last, uh, well, since V-Applies came out. So. Yeah. I, would, I don't know if you'd call it a hack, but just kind of a new, very similar to like the meter stand, the mobile max, stuff like that. We've taken basically condensed a six-row planter uh, just with liquid, just with V-Apply HDs. So you have SRM base, you have Gen 2, there's a PDM on there, uh, the base modules for V-Apply. Uh, we can test. We bring in customers via applies. We test them. Uh, we can do troubleshooting with them mid-season. It turns into a sales tool at times when customers walk in and maybe for the first time are looking at liquid options for the plant or maybe they've been run liquid for years and want to take it to the next level. So it's it's multi-use, but, I mean, the, it started out. I mean, we can generate income with it, you know, being able to run like a service program just like, you know, you would meters or speed tubes. Um we do it multiple times. We'll do, we'll bring them in before, right, you know, summer, fall, beginning of winter, run them once, store them so the farmer doesn't throw them out in the shop when we give them back and they freeze. Uh, that's kind of how we run that program. So the efficiency side of that almost comes from, like, instead of sticking one on, I've got six of these things that I can scroll through my diagnose page and, and troubleshoot at once. Right. It's, right. A, it's, a, it's a numbers like you can slug through a lot of these. Or oh, yeah. Or, you yeah, get some big quickly. planters with dual liquid systems that you can crank through. <laughs> it's pretty nice. I can't imagine the monotony of doing one at a time. Um, does, I mean, then, like for me, starting out, you know, first getting into V-applies and stuff as a young dealer, I could put a V-apply up that I knew was functioning 100%, worked perfectly, and compare it to one that wasn't, or throw a flow synth on there that was working perfectly to one that wasn't. That helped me shorten the learning curve for sure. Got to see a lot of numbers going through, at, you know, once and being, another, you know, as being young as a dealer, by uh, troubleshooting over the phone, I, many times I'd be on the phone, my earpiece, I'd walk out of the shop and especially you get the customer that you're difficult descri- describing what he's looking at, what harness he's holding, you know, what's going on. I can visually keep my mind focused. You know, I have SRM base in front of me. I can flip the PDM over. You know, if we talk about solenoids, if we talk about harnessing, what hooks up to what when he's getting started and, you know, hooking up the planter for the spring, it, it definitely was helpful for Man, that. And that's why we keep planter harnessing up in the support area. We got to <laughs> do the same thing. Jack, you had some really good notes, too, on how you determine how long a hydraulic hose should be. What What's your strategy there? Oh, I started carrying a rope with me that uh, it's 30 or 40 feet long, and it's got a red end. One end's red, and I always use that end to start from, and lay the hose wherever I think the hydraulic lines are going to go and then carry colored zip ties with me to mark it where I want to uh, uh, make that hose length. And I can do multiple, too, if I need to, several zip ties configurations and take it back out and measure it more accurately with the tape measure and cut the hoses per per the rope laid out on the floor. Love it. What else? Uh, we did the... Well, this was before I was there. Something I got to use that showed off when I first started was the little adapter that went on the end of the floor jack. I'd jack it up underneath the planter to set the uh, disc openers as the gauge wheels set depth on the planter. Um, you know, throughout an install, there's no many how many times, how many different sets of hands touch the planter, how many times the T-handles get moved if you're putting in way pins and stuff. Um it's a little service you can provide to the customer right before the planter goes back out the door to it's is what it is, is it's a little platform that sits on top of the if you can picture the circular center of the jack is um sits on that and has two inch blocks or you could build one an inch and a half blocks on each side to set depth 
and then you set to where the, the T-handle you think is two inches, you jack it up, you find out if it's actually two inches, and as you go across the 24-row planter, you'd be surprised, you know, as stuff wears, how different each notch can be, what's actually two inches or inch and a half, and to see the planter go back out the door, know that's set in the depth, you know, the last phone call you want to get is, hey, your technician, and you know, he screwed up my depth on my planter or something. He left a T-handle <laughs> down or something. It's just a yeah. mental check. We we actually built a second one that was floating with a scale, with a tape measure scale and an arrow, so you didn't have to – you could tell them to set it for two inches and then jack it up and see what it really was. But it doesn't work quite as good. It, it still needs a little tweaking yet. Gotcha. <laughs> so there's been a, a couple different – guys that I've talked to that have kind of said something like they will try to, when they get a shipment in, separate stuff out by, by planner. They'll separate all the boxes out by the different planners they're going to kind of jump into. I think you guys do something similar, but with tables. So talk to me a little bit about like the, you've called them project tables. I think yeah. was the, the title you put on them. Tell me a little about yeah, that. We've built three or four, eight foot by two foot rolling tables with a lower shelf and um, at a higher height, easier to work at when you're standing at. And um, we've uh, we deem one of those for each project while it's in the shop, and have all the clipboards with the original sales order, uh, timesheets if we're keeping track of hours while we're working on that particular. Uh, we've tried a lot of electronic uh, devices to keep track of time, but if you uh, forget to sign out of them, it uh, doesn't go very well. So any parts we needed to go pull for that, there'd be a parts clipboard, a time clipboard, and all the parts that were in the middle of, you know, using are tied to that bench, and they they stay with that project as long as it's in the shop. And kind of makes it nice when you run out of something for one project and jump back over to another one. Makes us a little more efficient, but we do separate parts too on pallets. What else? Were there any? Is there any like, like a tool, uh, anything else like that that you can think? These are all great. I mean, I think the the key is I, I get made fun of, but I always have a knife, a pair of side cuts, and a and a. Um, universal tool a leatherman's tool always with you because <laughs> it, you, you can never the zip ties you cut in a day if you don't have uh, uh side cuts side on you and, and you, you gotta have them on you or you're going to look for them I, I probably carry seven pair on my service truck just to make sure i don't ever have run out of them so does <laughs> they do disappear so they walk off they walk off or go home and forget to come back so there's there is one more thing that I kind of know of that I didn't I didn't prep you on ahead of time, but I know this is a hack that that you do, Jack. So I'm going to call you out on it. Is there something that you do, or or what do you use when you're working underneath of a planter? Oh, I got a beautiful rubber mat. That's that's mat. that. There's a hack. That's what I'm talking about. about. That. Yeah, it's a I don't know. It's probably three foot by four foot, real thick foam mat that. Uh, one of our wonderful customers uh, loaned me one day and then told me to take it and keep using it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's great for gravel. It's great for cold concrete. It's, uh, yeah, it works really well. I uh, don't leave home without it. See, when I was a kid, we used to just take those thin pieces of cardboard that you would get with, like, seed corn that got delivered. Yep. And you'd throw that down or something. But that was just so you didn't get filthy, and then Mom chewed you out when you walked into the house because you were filthy. Still filthy. My dad didn't really care if I was comfortable right. on the shop floor, <laughs> but he didn't want to get chewed out by Mom. That, that's but what, how it started. That's I, I pulled my cardboard out to climb under a guy's combine in a gravel 
driveway and and he goes, hang on a minute, and goes into the shop and comes back with I this love pad. And, <laughs> and I got it all cleaned up when I was done and tried to give it back to him. He goes, no, I got a couple of those. You just keep it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I don't think we do a yield sense. We don't pull a chain through without it. I mean, one guy's <laughs> laying on the ground. Not, <laughs> trying not to fall asleep. But, yeah, no, it's comfy. It's disappeared off my truck a time or two also. <laughs> so maybe I keep good track of it. <laughs> We've used it to cover up a floor drain. I yeah. dropping a bolt and looking up and just seeing it rolling towards the floor drain. It stopped. It got lucky. But I'm like, you know what, that mat. I'm going to cover the floor drain with that. I love that it started with you as, a, as an effort to, like, if I'm going to be crawling around under planters, I'm, I'm going to at least be as comfortable as I can. And now it's taken on to, to Justin, who, yep. not to rat you out, is probably in his early to mid-20s. But, <laughs> man, it's comfy in your words. I'm going to use it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm looking for it, you know. I'm Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we take it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having us.